This is Chris Gardner of the Houston Round Ball Review speaking with the Dean of HBCU Sports, my man, Dr. Kenyatta Kville. How you doing, sir? I'm doing well. How's it going, Chris? I was looking uh, looking forward to this interview because a lot of people are talking about what's taking place in the SWAC, but a lot of it is pushed towards football, and oddly enough, some are talking about baseball, but basketball, men's or women, hadn't got as much as love as you may think. Yeah, and you know I'm the basketball guy, so I I need you to share with me the basketball 411 on the swag now being a well not not yet, but 2021 a 12-team conference with Florida A&M and Bethune Cookman joining the conference. Yeah, I can tell you it's real, as you said appropriately. Um, it just was announced over the last three weeks, three weeks ago essentially, with Florida A&M University, better known as FAMU, becoming the 11th member of the conference. And then all of a sudden, this past week, we heard last Thursday um, that Bethune-Cookman would join them, becoming the 12th member of the conference. Uh, Bethune-Cookman University in Daytona, well, FAMU is in Tallahassee, one public institution, one private. It becomes the first private institution to join the conference since the original four private institutions with a fifth private institution joined a year later in 1920. So all this is happening essentially at the 100-year anniversary of the Southwestern Athletic Conference, better known as the SWAC. So it is fascinating as we look at what taking place. And people are excited, to say the least, and they really starting to get into this as how this is going to fit with the split divisions, which was done in football between 10 schools, also done in a lot of the what we refer to as Olympic sports, but now, in a lot of ways, it's going to be done, at least from a scheduling side, in basketball, men's and women's. So I'm excited in many different ways uh, what this means for the Southwestern Athletic Conference and who better to talk to the, the basketball guy, Chris Gardner. I appreciate it. Round Ball Ball Review. You know, I've listened to you, Charles Bishop, Mike Washington, Dr. McClellan, the commissioner of the SWAG, Rob Calloway, all the brothers who are part of uh, Black College Sports Network sharing their thoughts and info on this big news the last few weeks. But, yeah, let's shift it on over to uh, Hoops. Give me some info on what FAMU brings on the basketball side, men and women. What you talk about with FAMU and basketball, interesting enough, is the fact that they got they just recently built a state-of-art arena. Jim, as we talked about, um, that is going to be a beautiful facility for these new games to take place in. They also have a resurgence on the men's side of basketball in a lot of ways as they were undefeated um, at home in conference play last year uh, to give you some indication of how that trajectory is going up. Um, this is on the heels of the fact that they did hit get hit with APR. And, in fact, last year they had APR, and as they – finished in the middle of the pack of the uh, the Mid-Eastern Athletic Conference, uh, which was pretty deep in regards to not just the number of teams, but the talent of teams at the top, specifically last year. They were in the mix, had a couple of big wins, tough losses, but because of APR, they were not able to go to the MEAC basketball tournament. As we know, history would have it, the basketball tournament uh, was not completed, and North Carolina Central won the regular season in a matchup that came down to North Carolina A&T and North Carolina Central, literally as the season ended with the final game. Big-time matchup where we know now that Central 
won the game at home against their rival, North Carolina A&T. Side note, North Carolina A&T is also leaving the conference, but they're going to the Big South. Uh, with that said, you talk about that with FAMU in regards to what they're going on. Then let's go over to Bethune-Cookman on the men's side. On the men's side, Bethune-Cookman, uh, with Brodnick as the uh, coach at one time, they made a change and they have a new coach that came in. And we'll give a little more news on that, who came from the JUCO ranks uh, and Division II ranks, really solid, a program that is also on the rise. Recently, the basketball team on Bethune-Cookman on the men's side has been pretty solid. Uh, they uh, had a chance to be at the top third, if you would, of the conference, but couldn't quite get over the hump. So they're bringing over a pretty solid program as well when you talk about Bethune-Cookman and what they're doing in basketball in those uh, rings. Then you go over to um, bas on the women's side. We talk about Bethune-Cookman since we're already over there. When you're talking about Bethune-Cookman with their program, they are one of the elite programs in the MEAC. They've won the conference the last two years, regular season. Finally got over the hump last year. They've been in the mix for the last really three, four years. They got over the hump last year by winning uh, the conference, the Mid-Eastern Athletic Conference last year. After playing some bridesmaids, they got it done. Well, they won the regular season this year again and were in a position to have back-to-back uh, championships as you would have it, it was not to be. So this is a program that when you talk about women's basketball, those that follow the Southwestern Athletic Conference, um, people are going to be really excited about SWAT because you add a perennial team in regards to what's going on in basketball in a lot of ways. So those are some things that you want to talk about on that side. Let's shift back over to basketball for Florida A&M on the women's side. When you talk about the women's basketball, um, they struggled of late so much that they actually made a coaching change. So you have a new coach coming in for Florida A&M on the basketball side. So we'll get a chance to see what will take place with Florida A&M women's basketball. So uh, and Doc, let teams. Me, let me chime in right there. Uh, the, new, the new coach, FAMU on women's side, Shalon Pillow, um, head coach, was at Middle Tennessee as on their coaching staff, played college ball at Tennessee. And that's where I first saw her when she was playing for Lady Vol Tennessee <laughs> on a coach summit. So that's showing my age a little bit right there. So um, to seeing her get a chance at a head job at FAMU, I know she's won the head coaching job for, for a couple of years now. So I wish her well. And she does have her work cut out for her to turn things around at FAMU. Yeah, with that said, um, she just named two coaches that were put out to the day. She named Jalen Powell uh, as well as Pilo. And uh, we probably, uh, people are familiar to some degree with Pilo that came in as he was at Texas Southern in Prairie View, uh, at least in the swag around that area. Well, he's back in the mix uh, coaching as assistant coach uh, in regards to um, FAMU on that side. So they're getting it done in a lot of ways. And when you're talking about Jay, it's N-A-Y-R-E-A-U. Narrero, I'm not sure if I pronounced that correctly. Yeah, we'll, 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 we'll figure it out, yeah. We'll get there when, it's, when the time is right. When we interview, yeah, we'll, we'll get there right. Yeah, we'll make sure that we get his name right. But I did want to give him a little shout-out in mm -hmm. regards to that news, literally just hitting the, um, hitting the news way that he was announced as the coach uh, in regards to what's going on over there. 
Um, I'd like to get some insight in regards to what do you think about the FAMU's women's head basketball coaching hire? I'm glad she's got the job. It's an interesting move because she's been at Middle Tennessee for a while. I think she was at Kentucky under coach Matthew, Matthew Mitchell a little bit also. So she's been at a, a what, what we call a DACA Power 5 program and then a G5 program at, at Middle. Now she's going to the HBCU program with the uh, family women's basketball has not been successful as of late, as you pointed out. And when they moved to the SWAC in a year, SWAC women's basketball is, is, is not easy. And if you don't have your stuff together, you're going to take some lumps. So from, from uh, TSU side, from Southern side, from Grambling side, I mean, you name it, she's going to have work it out for her. And just on that side there, we can get into uh, FAMU, uh, Bethune Cookman should have to deal with them again, you know, <laughs> twice a year, at least twice a year. So she has to work it out for her. No question about that. Yeah, I mean, it's a great point when you talk about what's going on over there. Um, it's not going to be easy in the SWAC. As they say in some of the Facebook uh, readings that are out there, it's rough in the SWAC in terms of one of the Facebook places out there, and it's appropriate. Going back a little bit in regards to um, women's basketball, uh, for Bethune Cookman University. It's Vanessa Blair Lewis is their head coach, um, in regards to the success she has had. And she's a true motivator. So boy, you talking about, as you just alluded to on the women's basketball side with, uh, Prairie View, Texas Southern, Southern, Jackson State, Alabama A&M, Bethune Cookman. So as you see, if they split the divisions up, as we just talked about there, the top three teams, and you could argue they go four to five in a little bit, but right. the top three teams on each division are coaches, particularly the first three that we uh, just talked about on the West side, they've all won conference championships. Mm -hmm. You're adding a coach with Bethune-Cookman, one of the two teams that has won a championship in their previous conference. Wow, that gets extremely intriguing. A little bit about the coach, head coach uh, at Bethune-Cookman. You got Ryan Ritter. Uh, he's had some success in terms of what he's done coming in uh, previously, not on the Division One level, uh, but he seemed to have the team moving in the right direction last year and was really excited about what he thought they could do in the tournament. And so I think he's going to bring an intriguing component um, for Bethune-Cookman on the men's side to the SWAC. The other thing that people really talk about, Ryan, is his recruiting ability. So a solid coach with his uh, ability to recruit, especially in the state of Florida. And those that have followed basketball in the South and in Florida understand that the basketball in Florida is really underrated. They have some talented players in that area. So if he can get some of those players to stay, and the idea that they get to come travel to Houston uh, throughout the SWAC, stay in the southern re region. So instead of traveling up the East Coast where it's easier for them to be followed by fans, it should be interesting to see what he's able to do on the recruiting side. So I'm very intrigued about that. Any thoughts on that, Chris? Recruiting is 
is the lifeblood of any successful program. First, you got to get to bring talent in, establish that culture, winning culture, and lay the foundation for what you expect from your staff and your players, as I call them athlete students rather than student athlete vernacular that the NTA tosses out there. But you got to establish your culture, the foundation, your expectations, but you can't win if you don't have talent. You can coach up your players and develop them, but if the talent is not there to develop them, to get them over that hump, all great coaches will reach a limit because talent does matter in sports. We all know that. <laughs> I love the way you put that. Yes, talent certainly matters. Back to FAMU on the men's side. We talked a little bit about the women's side. Obviously talked about Bethune-Cookman coaches uh, to look out for. I told you about the trajectory of the men's program at FAMU, and it's, re- it's led by Robert McCullough. And um, he just recently got a contract extension. When they went to the board, oddly enough, to have the board of trustees vote on whether they were going to leave the MEAC and then seek a invite uh, to join the SWAC, they also had the fact that the um, new coaching hire on the women's side was on the table as well as an extension for the men's side, which was Robert McCullum which gives you some indication that they were excited about what he brings to the table in a lot of ways. It's my understanding that they're supposed to be in a much better position. So it looks like they're going to be off APR, which is going to be important in regards for them to be able to continue to recruit. And you would imagine there should be some excitement in terms of them recruiting, not only that they're APR, but just the change, not the fact that, um, that it's going to be much a change or anything different about the MEAC, but anything new is always excited for students. So I'd like to get your opinion as much as you cover basketball on the recruiting landscape. What are your thoughts in terms of how this might benefit the SWAC and or particularly FAMU and Bethune-Cookman on the recruiting side, both in terms of men's basketball and women's basketball? I'd love to hear that perspective. Well, for all four coaching staffs, means they're women's, two at FAMU and two at Bethune Cookman. If they have not reached out to recruit Texas, they now will because <laughs> TSU and PV are in the SWAC. There'll be member schools and talent is in the state of Texas when it comes to basketball, not just football. So you put it in your budget to reach out to Texas, to bring some of that talent and you can tell the parents of those kids that uh, it's not far from, it's not a long, long drive to uh, go from Texas to Florida, to go from Texas to Tallahassee to come see your child play. So we're going to take care of your kid. We're going to raise them right academically and athletically and take care of them. And we're going to be successful on the court and off the court. So I think it's a, a win-win for everybody involved, but especially fam, you branching out to get Texas kids to play in Florida. And hey, Florida's hot humid. So they're used to that. That's not a problem. So talent is going to rise up in the swack for everybody, because if you don't bring in talent, you're going to have problems because there are enough good schools in the swack to cause damage if you're not ready to play. Mm, I like that. And to your point about the drive, what's nice about it, most of it is going to be a straight drive. It's pretty much I-10. Right. That's right. Take it on through from one side, Prairie View, all the way to Daytona. So you can go from Texas to Florida, starting a, a sun in the uh, valley uh, 
in the prairie view, the hills of prairie view, and go all the way to Daytona Beach to the beaches and, <laughs> and yeah. get it done. So to the Atlantic Beach uh, Ocean in a lot of ways. So that's going to be fascinating when you think about that. The other thing I want to talk about is some of the rivals. Obviously, you bring over a natural set of rivals in regards to Bethune-Cookman FAMU. They go back. They have fierce rivalries. So you keep that connected, which is a beautiful thing. Um, and while that rivalry is something that people focus on football because of the Florida Classic, over 50,000 fans, people may not realize because they're outside of the swag. What's done on the hardwood is extremely um fascinating and well and there are big time games uh that come down to the wire in a lot of ways people are familiar with the softball and baseball side but in regards to basketball don't think that it takes a second fiddle then let's think about the fact that you got fam that is a short drive less than an hour away from montgomery mm-hmm. in terms of alabama state so you got to believe that that driver is going to take up and they played a little bit in various sports not as much in basketball but look for those two fan bases to light it up in regards to how they will start competing. And then you got the ag schools with Alabama A&M and Prairie View, that combination bringing to the table and with Southern for that matter. And anybody that knows about FAMU and Southern, particularly in football, that's been one of the longest standing rivalries in turn between two interconference matchups. It took a break for a while and they brought it back. They've even played recently in basketball. So look for that carryover from football to now come on to the hardwood uh, in regards to what will take place in basketball. We've told you the rise of Southern. They finished last year in uh, third position after defeating uh, both Prairie View and Texas Southern that were seeding one and two. And Prairie View went in their second back-to-back season just to let you know where Southern is going. So look for that matchup between FAMU and uh, uh, Southern to be big. Then you have some other football rivalries that I think also are going to spill out in regards to uh, the basketball court, which is FAMU and Grambling, FAMU as well as Jackson State. And as I said, the fact that Bethune-Cookman is good in women's basketball, that rivalry will keep up really fast (laughs) in so many different ways and that they're doing – fairly well in basketball. So the rivalry connection about that is going to be fascinating. And then what does that mean for television? Now you get a chance because the contract in television for the SWAC is a five-year deal. But when you talk about expansion, in most of these contracts, there's a kicker that expansion takes place that you get a chance to go back to the table and see about renegotiating. Now, I don't think this is in that contract, but the fact is that um, ESPN has invested a lot in the SWAC. Most of it has been in right uh, in terms of football with the Celebration Bowl, the MEAC SWAC Challenge, but they've also showed a lot of the basketball games and are looking at, at showing much more because of what uh, Dr. Charles McCullen, the commissioner, has done in terms of the quality of the game. Uh, ESPN is really excited about that. So look for them to be friendly uh, with Charles wanting to go back to the table and say, let's look at this. We've done this. We think we've become a better brand. We think we uh, can do a better service to ESPN. And we'd like to see more games on television. I can see ESPN seriously saying, yeah, let's look at this. We like what you're doing in the SWAC and we want to be friends. And when the contract ends in five years, we want you to renew. We don't want you to take this 
to the market and see what you can get out there. So I I could have very easily imagined that they would take a serious opportunity to renegotiate this contract moving forward to think about it. Now, one of the last things I do wanted to bring to the table uh, to also get your opinion is, is currently the SWAC plays the 18 game. Uh, in this divisional format, it's my understanding that they'll keep, uh, for standing purposes, they'll keep a 12-team ledger, if you would. But travel component, they'll split it up into two divisions. So you will play your teams in the division twice and maybe one or two teams in the other division twice. And the other ones you'll just play once and rotate home and away over a two-year period such that you can get to 18 games. Mm -hmm. But there is a question that maybe 20 games will be on the table. And part of that discussion is to make sure rivalries exist that we just talked about, right, Uh, and can still be played, as well as the fact that this could bring more television to the inventory in renegotiating that deal with ESPN. So what are your thoughts on the trend just overall in basketball and how that may impact the SWAC in regards to teams looking at moving from 18 to going to 20, and some of them even thinking about 22. But it looks like the SWAC wants to still give some teams the ability to play money games, but they want to strengthen their APR. So they're looking at probably moving from 18, the current format, to 20. Yeah, uh, I'm kind of torn going back and forth on going to 20 conference games, I think, to ACC. If they have it, they're going to. Of course, soon we have a season, of course, with COVID-19. No telling what's going to, how it's going to impact a lot of teams and leagues throughout the country. Um, some of the bigger conferences have gone to 20. I think the Southland Conference had 20 games, and they're going back to 18 this coming season. Mm-hmm. So, so they did not like it. One of the, the reasons for going to 20 conference games is to have an uh, opportunity to play your opponents in conference twice. And if you have, you know, 10, 11, 12 members in a conference to try to play as many of those teams in the conference two times to try to balance out the strength of schedule and strength of opponents kind of thing. But also, as you mentioned, playing, having 20 games, conference games will would help, especially the bigger programs with content for a, a conference network. And I, I listened to and saw your interview with uh, Commissioner McClellan Tuesday, and he touched on he threw out that carrot of a seven, 10 years down the line, potentially a SWAC TV network, which caught my eye and ear. But I thought about that. If you do that, that would lessen to maybe the opportunity of a money game to, let's say, seven or eight non-conference money games as opposed to nine or 10. So that will be a consideration. But if you do go to 20 games conference play, you would have a chance to, especially if, let's say, seven or eight of the 12 teams are good to very good year in, year out, you have a chance to really build up your fan base for those home games and have home attendance increase. One of the things that you and I see firsthand is SWAC home games for basketball are attended more on Saturday than they are on Monday. So, Mm, yep. So that would be an issue. And I, I have a question for you. Off the top of your head, do you know how many SWAT games were on ESPN, Stamia Networks this past season or the last couple of years? How many is it? It's not a lot. No, it's usually like three to five games in regards to what the contract does. 
uh, it's my understanding last year um, they went back to the table and actually aired additional game. So at max, it was six in regards okay. to that. But I, the general contact is between three to five uh, games that they air on television. And to your point, it's not a lot. And so they're seeking to d- get more games on television uh, moving forward. One thing that I had a chance to talk with Dr. Jason Cable about that they're looking at, too, is finding a unique way to uh, potentially shuffle the schedule, but it still allows them to have the travel partners and play both the men's and women's games, but do it in such a way that you get an extra day. So specifically, what you would do is generally, as you know, you play your games on Saturday and Monday. So if you had travel partners, uh, in this case, let's look at Southern and Alcorn as they are travel partners coming to Texas with Prairie View and Texas Southern, which a lot of people call the Texas two step. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you would have Southern play um, Texas Southern on Saturday, and then they would play Prairie View on Monday. And you would have the vice versa with Alcorn playing uh, Prairie View on Saturday and then playing uh, Texas Southern on Monday. Mm-hmm. But from an overall conference perspective, that means that you would have five games on Saturday and four games on Monday because you have one of the travel partners because there's 10 teams not playing on uh, on Monday because they had the head to head matchup. Well, one of the things they were looking at before this expansion, so they probably can do it with this expansion as well, where you would still play your five games, if you would, on Saturday. Now that would become six. But you do it in such a way that you play two of those games on Thursday and you play two of those games on Monday. So you split the games on Monday. And so, for example, what you would have is is the Alcorn team would come in and play Texas Southern on Thursday and then they would play Prairie View on Saturday. Well, that means Southern would be playing Texas Southern on Saturday, but then would play Prairie View on Monday. So it doesn't disrupt the fact that you still have your teams playing on the road trip. You still have your five games on Saturday, but instead of having five on Monday, you split it up and your kids are out of school the same amount of time because they're just playing a two game trip and it brings them back. One of the teams gets to come back on Sunday. They leave a day early versus them coming back on Monday and leaving at Friday. So in terms of travel days, it doesn't change that, which gets students um, not to increase that component of it. But it gives you an option now to shop another day to the network, of getting them on the hill. And you could do that with a 12 team format because now you have six games on um, Saturday and then having three on Monday and three on Thursday. So that's something to keep your eyes on to see if that. Is something that the coaches, because this will go through the formal process if they decide to put it on the table, is that the coaches would have to review it and look at it and uh, men's and women and see if they agree upon it. And then it goes to the SWAs as well as going to the ADs, VP of athletics, and finally for the presidents, chancellors of the conference ratifying it. There's a long way to go, but there's a lot of discussion in terms of what uh, will take place in terms of the scheduling format, whether it's 18, 20 games, travel partners, how will that look? Uh, how do you rotate teams going from 
Florida to Texas, making sure they don't take those trips multiple times between Alabama and Texas and going between Texas and Arkansas. So there is a, a concerted effort to look at that as you match them up in the divisions and how you set up a schedule uh, to safeguard about that where you don't increase travel. In fact, you really reduce travel from a financial perspective. So big things are on the horizon for the SWAC, and that's what it looks like in a lot of ways from the basketball perspective. I like the uh, the idea and the thought process behind that. One thing I would like changed, and our buddy Ryan McGinty has lamented this fact for, for eons, is TSU, Prairie View, I think is that, that weekend matchup, the first one, is always during winter break, which lessens the attendance because, one, the students aren't on campus for the most part. So – that hurts attendance. Whoever has a home game in that matchup in January is missing out on gate because the February matchup is also nine times out of 10 has way more people attending that matchup than the January game because students are back on campus and that's a huge rivalry matchup and folks want to be there for the game and the atmosphere. So I'd like to see something like that change, but you know, doc, that's been a swag tradition for years. So, I'm actually glad that you brought that up because that has come up in some of the interviews and we did as well. And you will be happy to know that they're looking at that. Great. There have been a couple of cases where they looked at starting the season uh, in December uh, in regards before students left uh, instead of bringing it back really before they come back uh, to start in January trying to get all the games in. That's going to be even more of a challenge now with the expansion of the teams and looking at 20. So it's probably going to even be more of a necessity to seriously look at uh, the fact that you'll start this, the season in uh, early December, maybe really late November. Mm -hmm. uh, but what that does uh, is allow to make sure that the rivalry games are playing on a Saturday where students are in campus. And Dr. Charles McCullen openly said that that was a concern and something since they're looking at everything. That's a factor that they want to look into. So I'm glad you brought that up. So those that are listening understand that all those type of little intricacies are things that the conference is looking um, to review and taking advantage of the fact that the conference has now expanded to 12 teams with Florida A&M and Bethune-Cookman out of the state of Florida. One last thing and wrap it up. We've got to touch on it. the pandemic, COVID-19. What are your thoughts? Will we have basketball start on time? Will we have football start on time? What do you think? HBCUs, talking specifically about HBCUs. Exactly. Certainly, I do not think football will start on time for HBCUs. Um, you've heard the cases that are taking place to go outside of FAMU at the Division II level. You've heard the California Conference uh, state that they won't have any fall sports. You move it forward. Uh, we recently started hearing them pushing back the date that they were going to bring football teams back uh, to campus to start working out to try to start the season on time. That is pushed back two weeks. Um, they're still trying to push it forward. Uh, Dr. Charles McCullen was very open that their target date that they can't go past is October 17th. So that's one to keep your eyes on in terms of a drop deadline where they said that they can't have a conference season uh, past that date. You've heard some of the ADs really uh, hope, harp on the fact that this is about the welfare of student athletes. 
So that's another thing to focus on. When we take it out of the SWAC, if you would, is Houston Tillerson right there in our backyard in Austin. Houston Tillerson University announced first that they would not have any fall sports. Uh, then you started hearing about the football classics, such as the Southern Heritage Classic. The Detroit Classic were canceled. Then you had a big robbery game between Samuel and, and uh, Southern that took off last year that was in Tallahassee. And one of the reasons that FAMU has openly said they looked at when they made the decision to consider coming to the SWAC. Well, the return trip was supposed to be in Baton Rouge. That was full capacity last year in Tallahassee. Many people have thought the same thing was going to take place in Baton Rouge. So um, with everything saying at best, you're going to have a 50% capacity in the football stadiums, particularly in the early season. And that game was scheduled to be played in September. They decided to cancel that game. The only switch that you've seen in a different direction is you did have Jackson State pick that game up against FAMU and decide to schedule it in September. But let's consider the fact that they have a 60,000 seat stadium. So there is a way that you could bring that to capacity at 30 and essentially have a uh, a great event and a lot of fans there if you decide to do it and still have some monetary value of why you would think you would do that. But then you had the fact that homecoming events themselves started being canceled, starting right. out with North Carolina A&T. Then you had the fact you had Winston-Salem State the same day said, we're not having homecoming events as well. Right after that, you heard Fayetteville State the next day. And then uh, over the next two, three days, you had North Carolina Central. Bethune-Cookman followed suit. Um, talk about them not having uh, homecoming. I got messages directly from uh, Prairie View University with a questionnaire from Alumni Affairs asking specifically, what were your thoughts about whether we should have homecoming? What I heard on the social media platforms is about a 14 to 1, everybody said, nope. We love Prairie View Homecoming. We hate that we're going to miss it. But they were basically like, no, we shouldn't have it. And if we do, I'm not coming. Um, so that's the thing. And many people say they were concerned about their friends that they love to see. That they know how crowded it gets at Prairie View and they didn't see how you could do it uh, in that. And then right after that, I got the memo from Texas Southern University that they were pushing back, opening up from phase two from just having a central and Prairie View, in fact, sent everybody back home because things were getting so uh, in a bad shape in Texas with the rise of COVID-19 cases. And you're seeing that throughout the South. Finally, I will sum all this up to look at the fact that really, in a lot of ways, that driving folks is Morehouse. College came right out and said that they were counseling all fall sports, which included the big name of football. And so there's some questions about what is this going to do for the rest of the SIAC, the Southern Intercollegiate Athletic Conference, in regards to whether they will have a season, because obviously one of the members of the conference affects their schedule. So what would that look like? So I sum all that to say is just so you understand the reason that I'm going to say this. I do not see us having a football season. Obviously, a lot of this is going to be about the CDC and the medical reports where seeing it is literally a day by day, a week by week and month by month occurrences, but the trajectory because we simply didn't have folks out there in a lot of ways from a state level and a national level, federally, we don't have everybody on the same page. We have people saying, don't worry about the mask. 
Right. But CDC medically is saying that we need to do the mask. And I think in a lot of ways we're seeing what takes place when you don't get a coherent message. And in the South, uh, which happens to be run by Republican Party governors, seem to believe that they needed to be in lock and step with the president, who was one of the main ones saying that, hey, this is not as bad, uh, that everything is taken care of. And obviously, based on the results, that was not the case. So unless something changes rapidly, it looks like we're actually going to a second shutdown in the first wave when we knew there was going to be a second wave in late November in December. So we're actually having a spike in the first wave instead of being able to kind of take things down. So that's where my major concern with, which goes back to basketball. Basketball starts out in late November. And then obviously you have non-conference game in December. One of the heights that we get excited about basketball is around Thanksgiving time when you have a lot of these tournaments. How are you going to be able to do these tournaments in November um, with the spike taking place? So you start even to hear Rick Bettino that now coaches Iona who's putting out openly that you should only have conference games to do away with non-conference games. It'll be interesting to see will that get in any uh, uh roller coaster in terms of the ups and downs of what you're seeing are getting any real credence of moving forward. The last thing that I will tell you to let you know how serious this is for those basketball programs that uh, negotiate what we call these money games, these larger revenue games where they go uh-huh. play a power five school. If those schools hadn't already had their contracts in place where oftentimes they would get 80, 90, 100, sometimes even some cases, $110,000 to play in those games. Those teams that had negotiated teams, my understanding, now what was on the table is that they would play for flight, but they would only give like a $15,000 guarantee uh, versus the 80, 90, and 100 that they were used to getting. And so a lot of your mid-majors and certainly what some people refer to as your low majors are talking about not playing those games and looking at more regional matchups. And therefore, there's a chance that those games will not be played as well. So you stack all that up to say, not only do I not see football being played, I think we're in a real major concern on whether we're going to get these winter sports played, which obviously includes basketball. And I start to think that you're going to start to see what is going to take place in football, that they're going to look at whether they can just play conference games in, in football. So you're going to see that mirrored in a lot of ways to basketball. Are they going to look at just playing conference games and depending on what is going on with COVID-19 is going to have a lot uh, dictate on whether a season could be played. But right now, no on football. I'm getting really nervous about basketball. And um, that's why you're the dean of HBCU sports, putting a bow on everything like that. I, I'm of the opinion that I think if basketball, if there is basketball this season, it will be conference games only. I don't believe novice can non-conference games will take place this year. They're going to try to get some money out of that nickel dock. Some way, somebody's going to squeeze it. If they can, they're going to try to get something out of it. If that's conference games only, so be it. But it's going to be, it does not help that um, we have an inconsistent message from on top and the economy is still impacted by it because of that inconsistent message. I'll leave it at that because we don't want to get into politics on here too much. But folks who follow us know where we stand regarding that and leadership. So 
Dr. Kenyatta Gaville, the Dean of HBCU Sports. Thank you for joining me here on the Houston Round Bar where you review interviews. Real, one last thing, how can folks find you on social media? Thank you, yes. You can find me on social media at Dr. Kenyatta Gaville. That's D-R-K-E-N-Y-A-T-T-A-C-A-V-I-L. That's D-R-K-E-N-Y-A-T-T-A-C-A-V-I-L. That's on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Uh, you can also find me every Tuesday at Dr. Gaville's Inside the HBCU Sports Lab on Facebook Live, on Spreaker in terms of a podcast, as well as on Chris's radio show uh, in terms of that platform as well. We're on live at Caseways 1230 at 6 to 7 p.m. Central Standard Time. Uh, so you can check us out. And that's Dr. Gaville's Inside the HBCU Sports Lab with Mike Washington and Charles Bishop as we give you the latest and greatest on HBCU sporting news and what I call the sporting HBCU diaspora in regards to all the HBCU sports culture. Thank you for touching on the radio station, Houston Round Bar Review Radio. Doc Show is on there. Uh, we broadcast throughout the week at 7 o'clock, roughly 7 to 8.15 p.m. He and I, Mike Washington, C.B. Charles Bishop, as well as Adolphus A.D. Moore, are working together on the Houston Round Bar Review Radio. We got Doc, CB, and Mike doing the thing with HBCU Sports. We got more things in store for the listeners, for the viewers. So keep following us, and we will keep you in tune on HBCU Sports, culture, NBA basketball as well, um, AAC basketball, which includes the U of H. I may touch on some right styles and comment you say also, but follow me on HoustonRoundBallReview.com. Keep up with what we're doing. I'm on Twitter at T-H-E. HR review. Everybody take care. Doc, thank you very much, man. Keep in touch. Thank, thank you for having me.